Ephesians chapter 5. Let me uh, read verse 18. And it says this. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so uh, right away, Paul gives two commands. Don't get drunk with wine, and then be filled with the Spirit. You know, before commanding believers to be filled by the Spirit, uh, we see he, gives, he first gives this contrasting negative command. Do not get drunk with wine. Now, throughout the Bible, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, from, from Noah to, uh, to the Corinthian uh, church, where some of the members there were even getting drunk during the Lord's uh, Supper, we see that Scripture shows uh, drunkenness in its, full, uh, in, in its full ugly state, and it doesn't hide it, it doesn't shield it or mask it. It, it shows us the consequences that follow from drunkenness. Just as some of you have experienced in your own life uh, as a result of drinking too much. And just as you've experienced, and, and I know for me personally, the experiences that I've gone through, the danger with drunkenness is it leads to other sins as well because it causes a person to lose control. You're no longer in control. Your mouth is saying things outside of your control. Your actions, what you're doing. You know, and as he's talking about this, remember he's talking to a specific audience here, these, uh, these, uh, these Ephesian uh, Jesus followers. And as former pagans in that day, Drunkenness was closely associated with the idolatrous practices that were an integral part of the temple worship that, that these Jesus followers had come out of. So this is in their background. Like drunkenness was actually a part of their idol worship when they would go into these temples and worship their gods. Uh, drunkenness was a part of that. It was a way for them to connect. Uh, they felt like they were becoming a part of uh, that God and connecting to uh, that God through that and some other horrific things that they would do. But we see that that was uh, something that they did. And so it was uh, this type of worship and and immorality as well that many of the Corinthian believers had a difficult time separating, separating away from to where Paul rebuked them in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. And so Paul's not only speaking uh, of, the, of the moral and social evils of drunkenness, but of the spiritually perverted use of drunkenness as a means of worship, which was in their history, which they were seeing on a daily basis. Now, I know for you and me, we're like, well, I don't really see that. Uh, but remember, there's an audience here that he's writing to, and, and this is a big part of, of their culture. And so, not all, so, so that's part of what he's contrasting here. He's contrasting that, uh, that idol worship with being spirit-filled in that worship. We see that drunkenness leads to debauchery, meaning recklessness or wild living that brings nothing of value. Uh, the story of the prodigal son, the same word is used to describe uh, his actions. Uh, in other words, it leads to being out of control. In contrast, the Holy Spirit makes us self-controlled and filled with joy. 
And that's very contrasting because if you have uh, found yourself in a drunken state uh, and woken up the next day, you were not filled with joy. You were filled with regret. Uh, you were filled with uh, a hangover. And uh, you were wondering what all even happened. And I want to just encourage you, if you are or challenge you, if you are a uh, middle schooler, high schooler, you are seeing um, drunkenness glorified through social media, all these things, like, oh, fun night. I'm telling you right now that that is a lie. And there's so much regret that comes out of that. And there's so many people right now watching uh, that, that, that have experienced that, that have walked through that, that are still fighting that, that are, that are trying to uh, continue to move out of that because it still has a hold of their life. It's so dangerous. And so I, I just want to uh, encourage you to guard your heart and your mind from allowing what you see. Remember, what we see a lot is what people want us to see. And, and many times those are just highlights, but it doesn't give you the full story. And so we know uh, that, that there is no joy found in alcoholism, in drunkenness. And so, and, and, and so when we look at this out-of-control nature, the Spirit, on the other hand, makes you like Jesus, our model for self-control and all the other virtues of the Holy Spirit. Paul commands all believers to be filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit, just uh, it's important to, to understand and know, being filled with the Spirit is not the same as being indwelt by the Holy Spirit because uh, He indwells every believer at the moment of salvation. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. In other words, everybody that is of Christ has the Spirit, okay? Uh, so so what, what he's saying by being filled uh, is that is separate than being indwelt because if you are a Jesus follower, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He says, uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So the spirit joins all believers to the body of Christ. So being filled is also different than baptism of the spirit. Because baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs in every believer the moment they become a Christian and are placed by Christ into his body by the Holy Spirit who then takes up residence in our lives. But we see this command. The command is plural. So it applies to all Christians and not just to a select few. So when he says uh, to, to be filled up, filled up with the Spirit, um, this is for anybody that's a Jesus follower. He's not just saying, hey, for you over there or for you leaders right there. No, he's, this is for every Jesus follower, for everyone who calls himself a Christian. And the verb is in, uh, the verb in the Greek is in the present tense, in other words, keep on being filled. So it's an, it's an experience we should enjoy constantly and not just on special occasions. Okay, so, so when we talk about being filled up with the Spirit, that should not be something that we're seeking out for just this one moment, this one situation. No, 
This should be something continuously that we are, um, that we are experiencing and living in. It's a continuous moment by moment, day by day, submission uh, to the Spirit's will. And, and the, verb is, the verb is passive here. So what that means is we do not fill ourselves up, but we allow the Spirit to fill us. See, the filling up process, that is a work of the Spirit, but He only works through your submission to him okay so so what's so incredible about this is he does the filling up process but with that comes the uh, the reality that i can choose to quench that to neglect that to do my own thing or to actually uh receive it you know, you, you think of like a refrigerator and, and you put your, your, you know, your glass, of, uh, your cup into the little slot there and water shoots down, right? You have the choice to leave it there and let it fill up with water or you can yank it, right? Uh, when it comes to uh, being filled up here, if, if you choose to not submit yourself uh, to the will of the Holy Spirit, you are removing your glass and you are saying, I no longer want to be filled up. Polero uh, connotes the, 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 the Greek word here. It connotes more than filling something up. The idea of filling in this context means controlled by. So it extends even farther than just filling up this word that we use here and we see it, it, it means here controlled by. So to be filled with the spirit is to be under his total control. Our mind, our will, our emotions, our body completely under control of the Holy Spirit. And we see the controlling work of the Holy Spirit even in Jesus's life while he was here during his earthly ministry. In Matthew chapter four, uh, verse one, it says this, and this was early on in Jesus's ministry. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Did you see that? So, so we, we, we see Jesus submits himself entirely to the Spirit's control to the point where the Spirit leads Jesus out into the desert for the very purpose of being tempted by the devil. See, even Jesus submitted himself entirely to the Spirit's control because he was full of the Spirit. He was controlled by the Spirit. The Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit can, can be, one commentator uh, compared it to a glove. And, and, and we think, when you think of a glove or even, uh, you know, uh, workout equipment, right? Like some of us during the pandemic bought workout equipment, a bunch of it. If you're looking for it now, man, it's expensive. Uh, but, uh, but many of us bought workout equipment and, and you bought a particular type of equipment and you're like, oh, this will help me. Whether it's a pull-up bar, um, whether it's some dumbbells or, or, or whatever it may be. Uh, you purchased that and, and as you got that, it, it arrived and it has a specific purpose. There's specific exercises that, that you are to use in order to benefit from that. But guess what? It doesn't do the exercise for you, <laughs> right? Like those dumbbells, they don't, they don't just magically go into your hand and start like working you out. Like, no, you're going to have to make the choice uh, to pick those up. And, and as you pick those up, um, the, whatever exercise tool it is, it starts to be used to its proper function. 
See, we have purpose. We have design. All these things that God has created you with, with intention. But if you don't submit to the Holy Spirit, if, if you don't allow yourself to be used, to be filled up by the Holy Spirit, then you are like that workout equipment that no one's touching. You have incredible design and purpose and can do so much benefit, but you're not being used. The Holy Spirit wants to use you. This is a command for every Jesus follower. So in other words, you are intended to live your life being filled up with the Holy Spirit. That's the intent. But just like, you know, uh, I, I said, like if we had a, a, a glove that was designed to work for a purpose, without the hand in the glove, it's just the glove. When we die to self, the Lord fills us up with his spirit. And while the Holy Spirit indwells believers forever, we need constant filling. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit, but we need constant filling. Since no one lives a life of constant joy, right? You're not just like always uh, just living in joy. Uh, you're not always living with thanksgiving in your heart. Um, you're not always just living in light of love and giving that and receiving that how you're called to. And that's why we need the spirit, right? Because you're inadequate. You can't do it in your flesh, but because we are now in Christ and we have the Holy Spirit, he picks up, fills the gap, and where you don't have the capacity, where you can't do something in your flesh, if we are filled up with the Holy Spirit, he comes through in a God-sized way. He fills in those spaces that you could never fill. I want you to just put this into context of, of just even your marriage or, or maybe a really uh, important relationship in your life. When you get married, one of the first things that you realize when you get married is you learn how selfish you are. <laughs> it just reveals how everything in your life was about you and designed to make you happy. And, and it was uh, your schedule, your priorities. And all of a sudden you get married and you go, oh, no everything's different. There's somebody else. I'll never forget. Um, I was working out after work early on. I think it was actually the first week of our marriage and I was working out and I get this phone call and it's my wife and I pick it up uh, in the gym and, and I said, Hey, what's going on? And, and she asked, are you going to come home? And I was like, well, what do you mean? Yeah, of course. I've, I've got like, you know, another hour here in the gym. And she was, and she was mad at me. And, 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 I, and I remember hanging up and I was like, why is she mad? And then I was like, oh, wait a second. I have somebody at home that wants to be with me. <laughs> and it was like a total transformation of like, because the gym and everything, that was about me and my schedule. And all of a sudden, I've got somebody that wants me at home, somebody that, that I am going to be in relationship with, someone that I'm going to sacrificially love and sacrifice who I am on their behalf. You see, um, the reality is this. The Holy Spirit makes a person loving. You're, you're more loving. If you're in a marriage, you're more loving. Any relationship, you're going to love people better. It makes you forgiving. So many times in your flesh, you're going to have a difficult time forgiving people. Sometimes you'll go, this is impossible for me to forgive them. The Holy Spirit can come through in that. Peace, 
peacefulness. Like when you think of, of, of just uh, bringing peace into a situation, there are times you are completely incapable of bringing that. The Holy Spirit can do that. The Holy Spirit can bring peace in your marriage. The Holy Spirit can bring peace in situations, in relationships that have never been peaceful. The Holy Spirit can do that. Self-control. Some of you have never experienced self-control in your life. The Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can bring self-control. Whether that's in a relationship, whether that's you individually, uh, whatever that means. When we think about gentleness and the need for gentleness in, in approaching people in, in, a, in a winsome way, in, in a way that, that allows people to hear what you're saying and all of those things. Some of us come across very, uh, very hard, very heavy on people, and the Holy Spirit can bring a gentleness. And when you think of the Holy Spirit, as always, there's a servant-hearted nature that the Holy Spirit can bring out of you that is a contradiction to the selfishness that is in you and you serve and you love other people well, and we need that. And so I want to just encourage all of us as we hear these things, sometimes uh, when, when it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we think of all these big things that are happening and what I may be called to do. And in reality, he wants to transform your home, your living situation, your work, your relationships, all of that. Not just these things in ministry. We need the Spirit for unity, harmony, and peace. You know, the apostles, they experienced repeated fillings after that initial experience at Pentecost. So how does this happen? Like, that's a, that's a natural, natural question, right? How, how do I get filled up? Like, what, is, what does that look like uh, uh, for me? You know, what do I need to do? Well, one of the things that is very clear by studying scripture and the parallel passages is you see that the spirit and the word of God, they go together. So to be filled with God's spirit is to be filled with his word, letting it indwell and infuse every part of your being. See, as you allow God's word to penetrate your heart, to go in there, to transform the ugliness that's in us, when you are real with it, when you allow God to speak uh, to you, which is the Holy Spirit speaking to you through his word, and as that begins to take hold of your heart, it is no longer you dictating or controlling it, it is controlling you, and you are filled up by the power of the Holy Spirit because remember, being filled up means you are in, you are under the control of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, when I say control, many times when we say control, we think of it in a negative way. Oh, no, 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 no. With the Holy Spirit, being under that control is actually peace, freedom, and all the other fruits of the Spirit. See, as we are filled with God's Word, it controls our thinking. It controls our actions. And we then find him producing amazing things in us as a byproduct of that, which Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it tells us what those are. Uh, and, and some of you, I know you know that, you've memorized it, but, but there's a lot of us that don't know. And it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay, so these are byproducts of the Holy Spirit uh, filling uh, you up, of, the, of, of you being completely submitted to and under the control of the Holy Spirit. This is a byproduct of that, okay? So hear me very clearly. 
A byproduct is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, it says. Do you realize how big those things are, how we are looking everywhere, reading everything to find that. And it's right here. It's available to you. If you are Jesus, follow through the power of the Holy Spirit. That can be overflowing in your life. So we need to keep asking the Father for a, a fresh sense um, of his spirit. When you wake up, uh, when, when you're going to be uh, approaching a big meeting, a conversation, dealing with conflict, you need to just ask yourself, you need to get yourself in check and go, man, where am I at with God? Uh, am I the one uh, controlling everything right now or is he in control? Because a byproduct of him being in control of my life is the fruit of the Holy Spirit is in my life. I am filled. I am op I, I'm not operating in the flesh. I am not speaking from Steve. I'm speaking on behalf of God in those moments. And I'm able to give love, grace, hope, peace, compassion in ways I never could left to myself. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit, I can bring that into somebody's life. Paul then states that there are three evidences of the fullness of the Spirit in the life of believer. And he's going to talk about these. He's going to talk about joyfulness in verse 19 and thankfulness in 20. And, and then he's going to go into this long, um, which we're going to be in for weeks, on submissiveness. But let me read verse 19 where it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So the first response of the spirit-filled life that Paul mentioned was not this mountain-moving faith or this new dynamic ability that you have, you know, because you're filled up and you're surrendered to the Holy... No, uh, it was simply a heart that sings. You know, growing up, I knew uh, that my dad was in a good mood if he was singing, <laughs> And so if I was going to ask for something, uh, I would wait till I heard him singing because I knew he was more likely to um, receive that request in a positive way because I knew he was happy. You know, when we think of the believer who walks in the spirit, they have an inside joy that manifests itself in music and praise. See, God puts music in the souls and then on the lips of his children who walk in obedience to him. You know, and I've experienced this personally because uh, for me growing up in church, I never liked the singing time. I call it the singing time. And I, I, I remember I was that guy where as soon as they started singing, I have to go to the bathroom. Sorry. And I would, I would jet out. Uh, right now it's easy because everything's online. So you, it's really easy for you to check out in any way. But I remember I, I would try and get out of that. Uh, so, because I just, I didn't like it. I didn't really, I, I just didn't really see the point of it. And, and I didn't really like the songs, but 
one of the things that I experienced in my life after I surrendered my life to Jesus was this desire to praise him, to sing, to be a part of worship, worship services. See, now, now I crave it. Uh, I miss it when I don't have that. I, I, I find myself desiring it. I find myself in situations where I'm in my car and I'm like, man, I need some worship. Um, I find myself going, oh, I can't wait to go to this gathering so that I can worship uh, with other people. I, I, I need that and I know that and I want that. And, and God built that into you. As you are filled up with the Holy Spirit, a byproduct of that is you praising him, singing to him. In Psalm uh, 33, uh, 1 through 3, it says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. You know, when God delivered Israel out of Egypt, all the people came together and they sang a song to the Lord. The last thing that Jesus did with his uh, disciples after the Last Supper, or before they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was arrested, it says they sang a hymn together. You know, we are a singing people because God is too great to just merely be talked about. You can't just talk about him. You've got to start praising him when you experience him in your life. You know, we're not just uh, to think of his grace and to speak about it. We're to rejoice in it. And when you think about the word usage uh, here, kicking off in verse 19, he says, addressing one another. And addressing here, it includes any sound offered to God from a spirit-filled heart. You know, it's difficult to know exactly what Paul meant by these three different types of songs that he lists here. Uh, when we look at uh, these uh, words, he, you know, he, he lists, sings psalms, hymns, and he says spiritual songs. Now, psalms uh, refers primarily to the Old Testament psalms but uh, put to music, but the term was also used of vocal music of any sort, such as solos and anthems. Hymns refers primarily to songs of praise, and then spiritual songs were likely songs of testimony that covered a broad category, including any music, just expressing spiritual truth. And so the intent of the writer here is simply to give latitude for all kinds of musical expression that exalts the Lord. Okay, so, you know, I think the reason for these, all these different types of songs that they list here, or that Paul lists, is, is, is because our God is infinitely varied in his beauty, and he meets us in various ways. Amen? See, there's, there's, there's no one kind of song. Now, we all have preferences, right? Oh, I know you do. <laughs> I do. Um, even, even, you know, even with, with, with our worship team, there's songs that I go, oh, I love that song, and there's other songs I go, huh. You know, but so we all have preferences. We all have that in us. But what we see uh, here is, is, is God represents all these different kinds of songs that are declared to him. And yeah, we have our preferences. And depending on your church, depending on the location of your church, the demographic, the makeup of your church, um, where it's all these things, it's going to likely reflect that. Your worship service, the music, the songs. You know, there are, and I've worked at um, three different churches and all three of them had, had different worship. 
and they were in different parts of our country, and they reflected that. And, and so that's just something that you typically see, and it's not right or wrong. Uh, but what we see is, is, is literally, there are all, and, and there's also different seasons of life that different songs connect to those specific seasons, right? So there's certain songs that we cry out to God, that we sing, that we look for, that, we, that, that, that minister to us, that speak to our soul, that we give back to him in praise, that connect with something that we're going through. And what we see here, though, is our singing has horizontal and vertical dimensions, so did, did you notice that? It says, we sing to one another, right? So he says, addressing one another. So we sing to one another and we sing to the Lord. See, when we, when we gather for corporate worship and, and when we come together and to sing to God, we are also ministering to each other. And we need to remember that. Yeah, we go in and we're singing to God, but we are ministering to each other. Did you know that you have a responsibility in corporate worship? You encourage each other through singing. I don't care how bad you think your voice is or how good you think your voice is. You encourage other people in your singing in our worship gatherings. You also instruct one another through singing. And this is one of the main reasons we're struggling so much uh, with online gatherings, right? I think we would all agree with that. It is really hard because we're missing what this is telling us to do, which is that corporate coming together and singing together. And it is so hard uh, when, you're, when you're singing. And our worship team is incredible. And all our volunteers in worship are amazing. And I love our worship. But man, it, it, I miss coming together in a room and us declaring to God and being ministered by the people around us as we come together in Christ. What a powerful thing that is. But we see the vertical component. The Spirit prompts us to sing with our whole being to the Lord Jesus. And so we do that, but it also has this unique ability as we sing to Him to horizontally minister to people around us. It's so encouraging. And many of you have felt that and experienced that during a worship gathering. Whatever type of song, music, is to be an expression of the Spirit-filled church. Whether given through the voice in singing or through instruments in what it says, melody or making melody, he's the audience to whom we sing. He is the source of our affection. You've maybe heard the saying, sing to an audience of one. And that's what it's about. Whenever you're in a, in a, in a, in a gathering and, and you're singing, it's never about the people around you. It's about, it's about praising God. It's singing to Him. It's, it's, it's declaring truths, the reality of who He is. It's giving Him glory. And it, it says it originates and comes out of your heart. And so if I am filled with the Spirit, my heart is saying, sing, Steve. It's calling me to sing. It's bringing that out. Because those who are filled with the Spirit sing to Jesus because he's so worthy. And we enjoy doing that. And, and like I said, 
I am somebody who was not into into the that part of of worship services and now man I look forward to that time I need that time I love just going into that time with God and reflecting on who he is and crying out to him it's an incredible thing verse 20 it says this giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the next result of the Spirit's filling is constant gratitude to God. Philippians 4, uh, 6 and 7, it says, do not be uh, anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What an important couple verses for us to think about. Colossians 3, 16 and 17, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which we just talked about, with, it says, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving, it says, thanks to God the Father through him. And, and, and you see also just this whole attitude, this mindset of giving thanks always continually. You see it throughout scripture and, and we see it modeled through Jesus, even when he is with this, his disciples. And Paul says this about that, that last night with his disciples in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24, it says, this is what Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And it says this, and this blows my mind. It says, and when he had given thanks, and I think we just go, oh, he just gave thanks for the food. Like, can you, like, like think about that. He's about to go to the cross. He's, he's, he's being betrayed. And it says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. To the very end, he is giving thanks. He's all knowing in that moment. He's still giving thanks. Are you known for ongoing thanksgiving? or for complaining and murmuring. See, the, the person who thinks the world owes them is never thankful for anything. Complainers are consumed with themselves and, and complain in hopes to bring others onto their side to validate their, their feelings, which are what? Selfish in nature. Because at the end of the day, complaining happens because someone didn't get what they wanted or what they think they deserved. And I just want to say this, if that is you right now, stop. If you are continually complaining right now, and maybe it's just in your heart and you know it, maybe it's to other people. Oh my goodness. The, I mean, it's like a cancer it's awful what that can do. Stop. It is in opposition to the Spirit of God. It's in opposition. You do not want to find yourself in opposition to the Spirit of God. If you are a Jesus follower, you need to stop. If you are in a group or with someone and they continually complain about their job, their boss, their spouse, their kids, their parents, their roommates, their church, maybe their health. Shut it down. You have no business continuing in that 
conversation because, listen, the Spirit does not allow it. If we are filled with the Spirit, we do something healthy with those emotions and thoughts. And if we feel wronged, we go to a healthy place to make it right. We don't complain. We don't bring other people into this who have no business. I mean, you're wounding and hurting innocent bystanders when I bring other people into my complaints. And they're my complaints. And so, if it, listen, if you're doing that, that is not of God. It's just not. Because he's going to tell you, if you have a problem with someone, guess what he's going to say? You need to go deal with that person. If you've got a problem with, with your spouse, he's not saying talk all this trash about your spouse. No, the Spirit of God is going to draw you to peace with your spouse. The Spirit of God is going to draw you into that. If it's somebody else, if it's, your, if it's your roommate, if it's your boss, if it's your coworker, if it's a church, if it's, if it's, if it's something else, um, you like the Spirit of God is going to draw it out of you in a healthy and productive and a God-honoring way. Complaining is not that. It is the opposite. And if we are filled with the Spirit and we're listening to that, you need to tell that person you got to do something that's God-honoring with that. And what this is is not. Stop. Because when you're just listening, you're validating it. You're partaking in that. You know, I had a, I had a boss uh, call me out. I was part of a really large church in San Diego. And um, we joke about this now, but many years ago, um, I, w- I was on pass. I was one of the pastors and uh, the, the senior pastor uh, at the time and uh, was, uh, was in a meeting with me and, and some other people. And we were making some big decisions and, and I wasn't happy wasn't happy with the decisions that were being made. I thought there was a better idea. I thought that we should go this way with that. And, uh, and, and, and I didn't like it. I just didn't like what was happening and, and that. And, and I'll never forget, after the meeting, um, he just kind of walked up to me and said, you know what, Steve, you're complaining a lot. <laughs> he walked away. <laughs> and, and it literally just like, I, just, I, I stood there, just froze. And... I needed to hear that because I was, I was. See, I was, I was actually operating selfishly because what I wanted to, what I wanted to happen was my way to win out. What I thought was right what I thought we needed to be doing, what I thought would work the best. And because it wasn't, then I was complaining, which did not help. It was not of God. And he called me out on it. And I, to this day, remember that. I think about it all the time when I feel that in me, when I disagree with something, when I see something and, uh, I, and, it, and it builds that up, I think about it because, man, I don't want that to be any part of who I am. And it's so dangerous because we naturally fall into selfishness, especially right now. And the question you have to ask yourself, and in, in, if you find yourself there in the state of complaining about all these things is what does God owe you? What do you think he owes you? 
And, and if you go, well, nothing, nothing. Well, why do you feel that way? And why are you acting like he does? Because essentially that's what happens when I'm complaining. See, spirit-filled believers, it says, they are thankful people. They are not complaining people. So if I'm filled with the spirit, I am thankful. I cannot be a complainer in that state. It doesn't work, right? So when we consider what God has done for us in the previous chapters of Ephesians, how could we not live with constant gratitude for his amazing grace, thankfulness for who he is, what he's done, and what's to come? Are you kidding? We should be so thankful. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. And the word gratitude comes from the same root word as grace. If we have experienced the grace of God, then we ought to be grateful for what God brings to us. And keep in mind, the writer of this, Paul, was a prisoner when he wrote those words, yet he was thankful for what God was doing in him and for him. Incredible. You know, this has been a challenging time. Everything that's going on in our world, it's been tough. It's been challenging for a lot of people in in so many different ways. And I have just found in myself um, an increasing struggle with selfishness. See, I, I continue to look through the lens of how these events, these decisions that are being made, I'm continuing to evaluate how they affect me, how they affect my mindset, my lifestyle, my family, my preferences, my church. And when I look at how I'm processing and working through what's going on in the world, the common denominator is me. What's been dominating my thoughts is actually me. And as I was working through these verses, just as I heard my boss many, many years ago say, Steve, you're complaining a lot. God (laughs) said, Steve, you're complaining a lot. That's not in alignment with the Holy Spirit. And then I'm confronted with the question from God, Steve, what do I owe you? Because that's essentially how I'm treating him. When I look through that lens and I'm complaining to God is I'm acting like he owes me something and he's not delivering. And when I start to think about who he is, what he's done and what he's going to do, you know what it does? It causes me to repent just like I did caused me to submit to that filling process because I need to put my glass back under. I need that water. I need to be filled back up. I need to be submitted under control of the Holy Spirit. And I, out of the result of that, will praise him and I will thank him. And as a byproduct of that, it says, love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control will all flow out of my life to a degree that's greater than anything I in myself could create. And I rest in that and I worship out of that. 
I want to encourage you to do the same. Let's pray.